welcome to Dr. Michelle's Wild Warrior Podcast, the official podcast for all things body, brain, and soul. Dr. Michelle is a naturopathic physician, licensed acupuncturist, martial artist, yoga teacher, and aims to model optimal health. And now, here's Dr. Michelle. Hello, and welcome to Dr. Michelle's Wild Warrior Podcast. Thank you for joining me today. It is March 13th, Friday the 13th, and the world is in a funny way, as many of you know. Uh, we have a an outbreak, a pandemic, as it is, uh, stated by the WHO, the World Health Organization, of uh, COVID-19 or coronavirus and it has ca- caught us all by surprise, I think, and really been something that humans are a little bit concerned about, obviously. And also, um, there's a lot of misinformation. And so today I wanted to dive into some of that information and hopefully clarify a few things and also offer you some ideas of ways to optimize your own health and calm your nervous system down, protect those around you, you yourself, your family, and your communities by um, bettering your own health and making some good decisions so that we can all get through this, which we certainly will. So I'd like to talk a minute about panic. Um, I've spoken about fight, flight, fright, or freeze, the sympathetic nervous system response that we are hardwired to go into as living organisms. And it is a helpful thing that can happen in order to alert us to danger and keep us in action when we need to move um, if we face a threat in life. Well, with all the information that's surrounding us these days, um, some of it true, some of it not, it's really easy to go into that place of panic. And I think I've seen a lot of people um, trying to resist that, which is good, and also uh, feeding into it, which is not ideal and certainly not a good um, thing for our communities to endure. So I'd like to give a quick little story of back when I was a whitewater kayaker. It's been a while, but (laughs) I was a whitewater kayaker for a lot of years. And when I was first learning to roll my kayak, which is, you know, when you're upside down underwater and you learn how to flip it with your paddle or hands, um, and get yourself upright because obviously our instinct is to breathe. And when I was first learning and sometimes occasionally, even after I was pretty proficient, I would go into a state of panic because, you know, here you are upside down underwater, kind of forced to be there because you're locked into your boat. And I did not make very good decisions in those moments of panic. And a lot of that is, due to the fact that our reptilian brain, the amygdala, which is part of our brain that puts us into that and responds when we're in that fight, flight, fright, or freeze kind of uh, feeling was taken over. And therefore my higher cortex, my, my, the thinking part of my brain was, was lacking. And so taking action from a place like that is really challenging. And when you have a stimulus around you that induces fear or panic in my situation, then you 
don't make good decisions and you often enact things that will help your situation. And so, um, you know, as you're upside down in whitewater, it's really hard to tell which way is up. It's hard to tell where your hands are in space because you need them kind of up out of the water to help reach and give you leverage to pop your hips and, and flip your boat upright. And, um, and also your strong instinct obviously is to breathe. And so one of the things you try to do when you're initially, um, working in a boat and learning how to kayak is to bring your head up first. And that's actually the worst thing to do when you're trying to flip a boat because your head kind of, well, it weighs a lot. And when it's upright, it's really hard for you to flip your boat and bring your hips up and then your head. And so a lot of times I would find myself just kind of gasping like a carp for air uh, from underneath my boat. And often that got me into situations where I'd have to bail out and swim, which was way worse than just gracefully flipping my boat and being upright and paddling along. So I uh, was able to quell that panic over time, obviously with practice and skills, but also in kind of training my mind to relax and to remember that I was in the moment safe. And if I did the things I knew how to do, then I'd be even that much safer. And not saying that, you know, obviously whitewater kayaking has its risks and any kind of water sport has its risks, but I knew what those were. And I knew in those moments in general, I was pretty safe as long as I could get myself upright again. And so it was one of those things that I've spoken about before about kind of getting in touch with your Zen and, and, um, the yin and, you know, I've had to do it in martial arts too. And I've watched other people do it in situations that were challenging for them where they just slow down, um, reconnect in my case, being upside down in water. Well, you couldn't take a breath, but I could at least kind of calm my nervous system down by just mentally, relaxing as much as I could and knowing that that breath was going to come my way. And I think that, um, interestingly enough, kind of circling back to coronavirus, it is airborne, right? It's travels on respiratory droplets. And so, um, we can get it from the air. We can get it from you know, somebody who sneezes nearby. Uh, there's some studies coming out that it's possibly fecal oral route also. And so there, there could be contamination from surfaces, et cetera. But essentially what I'm trying to say is we can't stop breathing. And this virus is traveling. Essentially I've heard it <laughs> phrased this way. It's traveling on the wind and we can't stop the wind. And that's a quote, um, from a fellow, uh, another PhD that I was listening to the other day. And I agree with that. I think that this is something that is, um, going to be around for a while and we need to kind of regroup and recognize that we do have some power and control, but we also, really need to get back in touch with our bodies and out of that place of panic. Taking a deep breath is one of the best things we can do to calm our nervous system. And so I hope that you can find ways to do that, you know, throughout your day. It's, it's often homework that I give to my patients just to 
when they're sitting at a red light or when they're making dinner or whatever the situation might be to slow down, notice their breath and deepen it. Just pay attention to it and recognize when they're shallow breathing too, because then they can start to see that their body, they're letting their kind of mind and their nervous system take over in a sympathetic way, as opposed to that calmer parasympathetic nervous system where we can just make clear and concise and smart decisions about what we need to do. So of course, right now we've got facts coming our way, uh, data. This is a very scientific process, you know, understanding how viruses work and what they're doing and their transmission rates and their, um, replication and how they affect our body physically and how they affect our communities. Um, and then there's also a lot of fiction out there and fantasy and sensationalism and the beauty of this day and age, of course, is that we have information available to us all day long, anytime we want it basically. And we get to choose what we filter through our system. And I think that understanding that a lot of the information out there is, incorrect or is blown up or, um, perhaps is founded in some truth, but it has been exaggerated to make a good story or whatever that might be. Um, or just through the chains of gossip, you know, conspiracy theories and those kind of things. And those don't really serve us much purpose. They might be interesting. They might be, I, I mean, I like to consider that kind of stuff and hear it and say, huh, where's the data behind that? And what can I look up and see um, if it's fact or not? It's easy to go into that place of either the extreme, like, oh my gosh, this is the end of the world, which it's not, or go to the other opposite end of things where you think that it's no big deal and kind of, you know, the laissez faire type of attitude. And Honestly, I will say this virus itself isn't that scary to me as a physician, as a human, um, as somebody who's in decent health and whose family is in decent health, if not better than decent. Um, it's the, the, the situation that's more concerning to me is how things are being handled and what are reactionary kind of response is. And I mean, the obvious example is supply chain, right? Um, we, especially as Americans, I think get very concerned when our normal amenities aren't available to us and, uh, there's nothing wrong with preparedness. I think that's wonderful. I, you know, I always have extra water in my garage and I have, um, some supplies around because I think that's just wise as humans, especially when we have, um, children in our homes, but you know, this, this kind of panic of supplies are going to be short and we're never going to have enough and all of that. It's not a very good community mindset. It's not, um, it's a, it's a fear of scarcity and that's understandable. I get it. Things are, are questionable right now and concerning and new. And we've, as a culture, most of us have not had to endure something like this to this extreme. Um, but it's also not very productive in 
supporting each other and in coming through this, you know, experience together in a healthful way. So, um, remember that, you know, you're going to have what you need. If you don't have some toilet paper, like there's other options, right? I mean, we can use baby wipes or something else. And yes, it's an inconvenience, but it's not, I mean, there's people in many other countries who have near, don't have near the resources that we have in our culture in our culture, excuse me. So I think that it's important to kind of keep that in perspective. Yes, we need air. Yes, we need food. Yes, we need water. Those are the essentials. Shelter, obviously, and, you know, companionship. I mean, those are the the big um, things that those of us as humans just need to thrive. And the majority of us are going to continue to have those things readily available to us, especially if we start supporting each other, because we as community can come through this so much better if we support each other and kind of rise above the chaos that is, um, is trying to rear its ugly head. So let's get back to facts for a second. Um, as of today, according to the CDC website, in the U.S., we have about 1,629 cases, uh, reported cases, and 41 deaths. Now, one of the problems is the testing is slowly catching up, but we just haven't had enough ability to test people. Um, so I do think that data might be skewed a little bit. And as we continue to improve um the testing and the availability of that testing, then I think we'll start to see those numbers go up. And I don't think that's necessarily um, a problem. I think that the more data, the more accurate data we have, the better. And so I don't think suppressing those numbers is really a good option. Obviously, we need to collect this data so we can have a better understanding of how to prevent this in the future or how to tackle this problem as we have it. Worldwide, the the World Health Organization reported um, over 100,000 cases just a couple of days ago, and then also, as I mentioned, claimed this as a pandemic, or dubbed it as a pandemic officially. Um, Again, these are alarming numbers. We've seen transmission rates that are way faster than than we have with some of the other diseases that have swept through in the last um, 10 or 20 years. And uh, the communicability of this and the virility of this, this virus in particular is concerning. But let's keep in mind, this disease is not racist. It's not a disease of race. It's not a disease of ethnicity. It's not a disease of gender or age. Yes, it affects certain populations in different ways. That is true. But this disease is affecting us as humans. That's it. And so we need to band together as a human population that supports each other in coming up with the right solutions. And we have some really intelligent people out there working really, really hard right now to figure out, you know, is there a good medication that might work out? Is there a good vaccination that we can use in the future? I don't expect that that will happen to help us this go round, just because those things take a little more time. But um, is there data collection that we need to have in place that's better? Uh, do we need to beef up our supplies in hospitals, you know, 
personal protective equipment, et cetera, in order to keep us up to speed so that we can help the most people. Um, you know, certainly in some of the overrun hospitals in Italy that I've read about, you know, they are low on supplies and they're low on, um, resources and doctors and, you know, the ability to kind of help every single person that's there. And I think that with due diligence, every country could potentially be ready for, to manage something like this a little bit better. I don't know the answer. I'm not in charge, so I don't get to give those answers, but I do think that our preparedness, um, for, epidemics like this and for health situations and crises really needs to step up its game. And I hope that we as a, as a country and as you know, in the, in global fashion can kind of learn from this experience, um, with, so that we can come when these things come around again, which they do, uh, that we can better respond in a way that keeps people more healthy and more informed. So, um, of course we know the basic things that are being recommended to prevent or limit the, the spread of this. I, I honestly don't think that we, um, I do think we're all at risk. I'm going to say that frankly, and I don't think that this is just going to pass over with really low numbers. I think that numbers are increasing and I don't say that to be, a fear monger. I, I say that based on some information I've listened to and read about, about this disease in, in particular and this virus and its capabilities. I do believe that most of us are going to do just fine. And I do believe that we can contain things and hopefully mitigate things in the process so that people bounce out of it faster and recover well and, um, you know, and, and many people maybe avoid it as well. So obviously WHO's recommendations, the basic hygiene, things like washing your hands with warm soapy water for 15 to 20 seconds. I mean, it's kind of nice that we've had a little refresher on that. Yeah. I think that people have forgotten like basic hygiene and, um, I, I as a physician have to do it all the time because I certainly wash my hands before and after every patient. And in between every time I go in and out of seeing a patient, um, so I'm, I'm very used to it, but I think it's been a good reminder for our general population. Um, my daughter this morning was seeing the ABCs while she washed her hands before breakfast. And I think that's good. I think this is like information that we can remember to utilize. And it's great for general hygiene, even when there isn't, uh, a threat to our health like this. Social distancing has been the new catchphrase, and we're seeing that in action now with some of the regulations here in Oregon, for sure, and I think across the country and across the world where we're limiting you know, large populations from gathering and uh, hopefully limiting some of the spread in that fashion. Now, I would like to say um, the WHO website suggest social distancing between people for three feet, approximately, or one meter, uh, from those who are coughing and sneezing. So let's keep that in mind. It doesn't mean that you can't connect with people still. It doesn't mean that you can't have conversations and go out and visit your friends, even though, you know, events and schools and things like that might be on hold for a period of time. It doesn't mean that you shouldn't surround yourself with, with people. Now, if you've got signs of illness or you're not feeling well, obviously, um, you should be self, self, um, 
well, going to seek medical help first and then self-quarantining to make sure that you don't spread that around. Uh, respiratory hygiene, covering your cough, your sneeze appropriately in the elbow, preferably, and then washing your hands as soon as possible after that. Uh, avoiding touching your face. We've heard a lot about that. It's, it's not going to be um, totally preventive to do that, but it certainly is a good habit just to kind of limit the spread. If you do touch something on a surface, then you're limiting the risk um, of exposing yourself. And then obviously seeking medical help, like I just referenced, if you have fever or cough or shortness of breath, because those are the main symptoms of this uh, strain of virus. Um, You know, the people that are higher at risk, luckily this virus is not affecting children in a huge way. Uh, Their numbers of infection are really, really low, which has been really nice because I think that... um, and, you know, flu and other viruses can be really harsh on the, the younger folks. Um, so that's one good piece of good news. Uh, certainly people with underlying health conditions are much more at risk. And I'll, I'll come back to that in a little bit when I talk about some of the alternative ways to improve your health. And then um, elders obviously are always more at risk for respiratory illnesses in particular. And so any sort of situation where you have an elder in your life, you know, you want to limit their exposure as much as you can and do things to optimize their own health. So in, in speaking to that, you know, underlying health conditions in our country are different than say in China, because a lot of the percentage of folks who have died from the illness there, many of them, I read some of the data were smokers. And so they had kind of that as an underlying risk. So studying the constituents of different herbal medicines can be challenging for us to extrapolate exactly how that herb might work in the body. And because there's many other factors combining, you know, a single constituent versus the whole plant. So the studies are getting better. Things are improving for sure. And we need the research to continue so that we can, you know, understand better what, different plants in nature and different things that we find in nature that we use as natural remedies do for our bodies and how they can help us, whether it's with our immune system, our adrenals, or, um, you know, in fighting infection or benefiting sleep, all all those different things. There's many, many uses, obviously, for herbal medicine. It's been around, uh, really since the beginning of time, I, I imagine. Um, So that being said, though, it is important for everybody, my listeners, to understand that these recommendations are basically here to help support your overall health and not to, quote, combat the coronavirus itself. And I'm extrapolating information from some research studies for sure that support the use of different things with and, and against viruses in general, or to optimize our immune function or decrease inflammatory response or improve lung, lung function, those kinds of things. So I'm not going to go into any specific remedies at all. Um, but there are some really interesting studies that I've seen supporting the use of essential oils in antiviral situations and in supporting the lungs and their health and also, um, you know, vitamin D for example, and how it can really improve the body's overall immune function 
and, and just optimize our resilience against, you know, infective agents. So there, if you want to know any of those research studies, I have a list of many and I'm happy to send those to you. So just shoot me an email or, um, find me on Instagram and I'll certainly try and respond and give you those, those pieces of data. Cause there's a lot out there for sure. And you can do searches on, you know, NIH website, PubMed, et cetera. And those are great, uh, peer-reviewed, double-blind studies, et cetera, that you can reference and look up. So um, it's a constant flux. And like I said, the coronavirus is so new, this specific strain, and so we don't know the effectiveness of many things against it, if any, that I've seen so far. So first things first, uh, water. Drinking water, obviously, is very important. Hydrating ourselves every day and making sure we take care of that part of our system, flushing the kidneys, um, allowing our, our cells to be hydrated. That's very important, but also using water to change the body. There's many different ways to go about this. The term we use in naturopathic medicine that's been around for many years is hydrotherapy. And there actually are some good research studies supporting hydrotherapy. Uh, there's one in particular that, um, I'll pull up here real quick. And it is in the North American Journal of Medical Sciences. It's called Scientific Evidence-Based Effects of Hydrotherapy on Various Systems of the Body. And as the title implies, I really like that study because it shows different ways that hydrotherapy can help change the functions and improve the functions of the body. Uh, they go into things like the immune function um, and also its effects on antimicrobial action and um, antiviral in particular. So that's a really nice study. That's one of many. And in their conclusions, they even mention how important it is that we do more research and have more data to support these findings. So hydrotherapy is easily implemented. I have all, pretty much all my patients do it in some form or fashion, but the easiest way is to finish your shower with a cool spray. And I always say to my patients, it doesn't have to be freezing. It doesn't have to be a huge contrast, but if you've got your nice hot shower, then you can finish with, you know, 30 seconds of cool, or you can do some rotation of that. So three minutes of hot, 30 seconds of cool, and do that for three or four rounds. And that's very stimulating to the system. It's good for immune function. Again, according to some of the research, and you're welcome to ask me about that further if you'd like. Uh, and also I find it's just really good for circulation and also good for areas of pain. So I'll have my patients do alternating hot and cold, especially if something's, you know, less than 24 or more, sorry, more than 24 hours old, an injury, for example. Um, eating nourishing foods. We need to feed ourselves well, and obviously food is medicine. Um, and I see that we can't control everything in our lives. You know, we can't control uh, the environment. We can't control weather or natural disasters that we might be exposed to. We can't always control the toxins that are around us. There's many these days with our um, the state of our earth. And, uh, but we can control certain things to the best of our ability. And I kind of tease my kids that, you know, or they tease me rather <laughs> that I'm so organic and it's really about making choices. You know, we have the ability in our country, especially 
to have access to so many very nutritious foods and a huge variety of foods too for various types of diets that people um, resonate with. So making sure you're making good choices overall. And uh, let's speak to moderation for just a minute. I think that terminology has been a little bit tainted over the years and is often used to, you know, justify overindulging in sugar or alcohol or some other habits that many of us, um, resonate with or gravitate toward. But, um, I am a proponent of moderation because I think that there's much value in pleasure in life and in indulging here and there and enjoying the things that, you know, our senses really flavors and smells and, um, experiences. Cause a lot of food, is certainly kind of a ritual thing or it's about social, um, interactions. And so those are really, uh, necessary parts of our lives. So I don't like to deny people that, but I also think 90% of the time or much of the time we can choose really healthy foods and allow our system to be operating in a much higher function. Move your body please move your body well every single day, preferably outside at least part of the time. Um, just get in motion, whatever that looks like for you, what things you like to do, whether that's weights or hiking or moving, uh, in nature or, you know, playing basketball or jumping on a trampoline or playing with your kids physically, any, anything, just do it regularly. That's the the main thing. Like consistent movement, quality movement is so, so important. And we know how beneficial that is to our overall health. It helps us keep our, um, our muscle strong and our heart and lungs in good function. And, uh, you know, allows us to, to deal with some of the things that we're dealing with, you know, whether it's stress or, um, infections, et cetera. So make sure you're moving your body every day. And plus it brings up your spirits. I mean, right now things are stressful and things are a little bit scary for people and can be overwhelming. And I saw like this morning, I saw some folks out on the trail and I could just tell that they were in really a good place. You know, they were out there and moving and watching their dogs and, you know, looking at the river. And it was just like, it was way more positive than some of the people I might've run into in town who were feeling a little more stressed. So get outside and, and move your body. Despite the need for, uh, social distancing, please surround yourself with good people, relate with others, be with others, talk about this. You know, it's such an important process to make sure we're relating well and that we're loving ourselves up and loving each other. Um, I've heard some really good stories about people out there helping one another and coming together as a community. And I think that is absolutely the most important thing we can do right now is support each other and, you know, speak the truth to each other and be kind and be patient. You know, if there's no toilet paper in the, in the store, be patient. It's not anybody's fault. It's just an issue that we're dealing with and we're all going to be able to move through it gracefully. If we can just be patient and respectful and, you know, operate with this place of mindfulness and gratitude for each other. And also, like I mentioned before, you know, this is not, an 
ethnic or race or gender or age issue. This is a virus that's affecting human beings and we are all in this together. And so if we can unite and, um, utilize each other's resources and abilities and support each other and build each other up, then that's how we're going to come through this in a much more graceful and successful way. And lastly, to kind of come to full fruition and full circle from what we've been speaking about, what I've been speaking about with you today is breathing. Um, this virus is, you know, travels around in respiratory droplets and our, ironically, I think one of the best things we can do in the midst of it is to breathe because we need to calm down the nervous system. We need to quell the panic that is happening all around us. We need to take deep breaths when we see things that aren't factual, that are scary and that are, uh, kind of creating a frenzy around us. And remember that again, we're in this together and we need to see each other through. And if we take deep breaths, that resets our parasympathetic nervous system, it tones the vagus nerve. It allows our body to kind of reset and come back into a sense of well-being. And it also uh, allows us to turn down that reptilian brain and utilize our higher thinking abilities. So in my kayak example from the beginning, I couldn't breathe. I couldn't breathe, but I was still able to eventually learn how to turn down that fear and anxiety that would happen when I was underwater. In our situation now, we have all the capability to take deep breaths all day long. And I think that that is the essential thing that we can be doing to kind of unite us all. And also just to, it's like our own personal responsibility, you know, to take care of ourselves, to, um, make sure that we're staying as healthy as possible so that we can offer our gifts to the world because who knows, I mean, maybe something you're doing is going to help solve this problem and, or maybe your child is going to help solve this problem. And if you're in a healthier situation, then you can allow them that opportunity to do that. So, um, I'm sending out love to everybody and I am happy to support my own community and my distant community. And I hope, uh, people all around the world will, will use this as an opportunity for learning, for coming together, for supporting each other, for remembering that connection of the heart that we all have with each other and for, you know, Also just remembering the gifts that we have in our lives every single day, you know, even with this going on, we have so many wonderful things in our lives and there's easy ways to just find that, to just look around and say, wow, I have so much support. I have people who care about me, or I have food and shelter and clean water. I have the capability of you know, searching information to help my family stay healthy. I have resources all around me at all times. Even if you don't, you still have nature, you know, you have, um, you can step outside and just be in nature and hopefully find those resources if you need them. So I, my, uh, hope for all of you is that you are able to kind of regroup and, 
reconnect because fear only drives the wedge between all of us that much more. It polarizes us to the extremes and facts, information, and slowing things down so that we can just come back to our center and remember why we're here and remember the things that are meaningful to us will definitely just take that fear away and we can operate from a place of love. So really those are the two, the two places we can come from always fear and love. So it's really just a choice. So I hope that you can find it in yourselves to rise above and, you know, um, connect with each other, support each other, take care of each other. And we will all move forward in this together successfully and with some good knowledge, even in the adversity that we might face. So thank you so much for listening today. And I welcome your feedback. Always please uh, subscribe to my podcast on iTunes or on Spotify. And I will look very much forward to speaking with you again soon and take care of yourselves, take care of each other and send lots of love out there to all those who have been hit hard by this, um, this epidemic. Take care. Thank you for listening to Dr. Michelle's Wild Warrior Podcast. If you enjoy the show, please like, subscribe, and review wherever you listen to podcasts. For more information on Dr. Michelle, please visit drmichellem.com and follow her on Instagram at ethereal underscore fighter. <laughs>